0: I don't know what all of you were doing on Monday, but I found my own eyes from time to time on Monday glued to the TV screen watching the beautiful Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris engulfed in flames. Now, I've not visited Paris yet um, or seen this cathedral in person like many of you might have, but I think I felt that same sense of sorrow and shock That was felt around the world. Now, many thoughts seeing this cathedral on fire swirled around my head. The first thought was I reflected that nobody else in the entire church gets to complain about how bad or how busy their Holy Week was over the staff at Our Lady of Paris. Second, I got a little bit annoyed with some of my colleagues in the clergy. And if you ever are on social media and you're friends with a lot of pastors, whenever a disaster happens, they're kind of like lawyers chasing an ambulance uh, trying to say something meaningful. And a few of them quoted uh, this hymn that you may know. Built on a rock, the church shall stand, even when spires are falling. Right? You guys, maybe uh, some lifelong Lutherans have heard that. Uh, Right? So they're, they're quoting this just to remind everybody that even though this one church was on fire, the church would endure. I was thinking, well, duh, the church is going to endure. But where my brain was, was with my history and medieval studies mind going, of course the church is going to endure, but what about the relics, the art, that organ, the statues, the rose windows? I was screaming out, oh, the humanities. I reflected on the history. I thought that would get a few more laughs. All right. I reflected on the history of, of the cathedral the fact that uh, polyphony had its start there, which is two melodies going at the same time. And by the way, this is the beginning of the entirety of Western music, which is borne out in counterpoint. So from Bird to Bach, it would not have existed had it not been for Notre Dame Cathedral. I thought about the literature written about the place. I thought about the paintings, the coronations. The gargoyles and my brain kept running back to this beautiful chapter in the education of Henry Adams called The Virgin and the Dynamo where Henry Adams reflected the beauty of medieval society and how it hasn't been matched in the ugliness of modernity. I read too much and as my brain was running I realized that this fire was an event that was happening in two churches the Church of Christ, and the other church I found out on Monday that I belonged to, the Church of, quote-unquote, capital C, culture. Now, the people who built that cathedral back in the 13th century had hoped to build an alternate space, A universe in miniature which would be a monument to the eternal power of their faith. I promise I'm not going to inflict my medieval studies on you for too long. But what's important to note about these cathedrals was that every inch of them was designed with painstaking care and displays a beauty both intricate and expansive. That is evident if you've looked at those rose-colored windows, and even on the ceiling joints are these little intricate designs that you'll never see unless you look at them up close, but of course they were designed that way because God can see them. And those of us who study and care about human culture and history, whether we share their faith or not, we want this to be a monument that lasts. In the church of culture, some of us are atheists and we think that cathedrals are what the historian Edward Gibbon called stately monuments of superstition. Even if we think that, we want buildings like these to stand the test of time. We want beauty for its own sake to endure. We want future generations to stay connected to those that came before them and and through what they left behind. So whether we believe in God or whether we want human achievement to be cherished and remembered in its quest for the divine, we long for what can stand through all time. We long for what will forever endure and what will always remain. We long for what one writer called the permanent things. And even if the permanent things aren't nerdy like mine are for you, I guarantee you've got some permanent things that you would like to stick around. But while I'm busy waxing all nerdy and cultury, in the midst of all these lofty thoughts that I'm sharing with you, something very strange is happening here in this church, and it is happening here in our hearing tonight. Because tonight we meet the one who is the most permanent thing of all. He is the one who was there before every age came to be. The one in whom all things were made. The one who is destined to stand for all time. The one who is both Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, eternally begotten of the Father. Do we know who this is? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. I know it's Holy Week, but it's okay to talk. Right. Jesus comes in the midst of 12 regular mortals and he leaves a monument of his own and it's not a massive cathedral it's not a poem it's not a song it's not beautiful it doesn't inspire awe and it's not very impressive as, quote-unquote, culture. As a matter of fact, Jesus leaves a monument in the most ordinary things that there are at the time. A broken loaf of bread and a cup of wine. It wasn't until Andy Warhol started painting soup cans that we started appreciating the ordinary. And even when we started appreciating the ordinary with Andy Warhol, even then, it was ironic right but here jesus does not mean this with any irony this is my body this is my blood he says no fanfare no trumpets no gargoyles only bread to be chewed and digested and wine to be spilled down the throat And absorbed into the body and coming out in other ways that you can use your imagination for. Nothing special, nothing powerful, nothing fancy. Just a cheap holiday meal in a nondescript common house where we don't even know the owner's name. And so here's Jesus leaving a reminder, and he doesn't want to be remembered in a statue. He doesn't demand a beautiful church with gold crosses and and rose windows. And hard as I tried in all the literature, I couldn't find a reference to Jesus asking for a private jet, either for himself or any of the apostles. Right? Just bread and wine. And so while we are so busy, longing to find God in the permanent and the eternal, In the beautiful and great cathedrals. Or maybe I'm I'm aiming a little high. Maybe we're hoping to find God in our 401Ks. Or in that trip to a national park we are always meaning to take. By the way, it's free next week, National Park Week, right? We want to find God in the mountains, right? Well, we're busy trying to find God in the permanent things. God is leaving no other sign than the impermanent and the temporary what gets eaten and then deposited in the toilet is how God wants to be remembered among us the word became flesh and dwelt among us and all we got was this lousy t-shirt and some bread and a shot of wine that doesn't even seem to fill us up Jesus gave us these impermanent and ordinary things as himself for a simple reason. He gives himself to us in those things because this may come as a shock, spoiler alert, we are impermanent too. We feel it in every ache in our body. We feel it when we go watch Captain Marvel and all the nostalgia stuff is things that were around when we were teenagers. We sense it when we start sifting through those mountains of pills that we need to take each day just to survive, right? Anyone bring their pill boxes here? This great cartoon, by the way. It was some Vikings, and they, uh, they were holding their pillboxes, old Vikings, and they're going, you know, pillaging doesn't mean what it used to. <laughs> Impermanence aches within us. Every hour we have to drag through another day at work just to pay bills, and retirement seems further and further off. We encounter impermanence, too, if we are out of work, if we have a criminal record that's held against us. Sometimes our impermanence burns within us in our memories of better times, times when maybe we were younger, or times before the drink or the drugs or the disease or the words we spoke or the actions we regret changed things for the worse. We hear our own fallenness echoed back into us in the world and it doesn't matter if we think the president's guilty of anything or not we hear that fallenness reflected back into us every time we turn on the news right all that impermanence we hear about violence that tears people apart we hear about the kind of cruelty and indifference that treats refugees and asylum seekers in our borders as criminals and rips their children from their arms Our limitations and our fallenness and our impermanence makes us feel guilty every time we look at the face of a person that we want to help but we can't or that we helped too many times and got burnt for it. Or even worse, our impermanence confronts us in the family member we don't talk to because we've given up on them or they've given up on us. At the worst times, impermanence sneaks up on us in Bone-crushing guilt or soul-tearing grief. We groan and we weep in a world subject to rot, to decay, and to downward drift. Cathedrals burn, priceless works of art are lost, and even some of the most brilliant words ever written can be forgotten. That one's for preachers. Jesus knows this too. He offers this meal as his earthly ministry is ending too. He has his retirement party in the midst of people that are about to abandon him. And one of them who is about to outright betray him. And it is in that impermanence that Jesus entered into, where there is not a pain that you feel, not a hurt that you nurse, not a struggle that you go through, not a scar that you hide, that Jesus doesn't come under your radar in that bread and wine to claim them and make them his own. He'll do it, even if it means being broken like bread or poured out like wine or Deposited right into the toilet. That is how far Jesus is willing to go to be with you. And it is here, here in a world that, is, that fades away, our baked and fermented God, a God not of culture or eternity or glory, but a God of ash, a God of thorns, a God of a cross, that God comes to fade away with us. And so brothers and sisters, we try to build things that are permanent but permanence is not something that we make. It's something that we receive. We receive it through this very simple and tiny meal. And we receive permanence when we are inspired by that meal to go and, and, and commit countless acts of service and sacrifice. Every time you've got somebody's stinky, smelly foot in your face, that is music sweeter to God than anything that Bach or Mozart or Beethoven ever could have dreamed of. And beneath it all is that bread and wine that becomes a part of you and contains something greater, a new covenant, a promise What used to be, if you read your Old Testament, right, it's a a two-way street between us and God. Keep the commandments. Honor me. I will be your God. You shall be my people. That two-way street, tonight, that has become a one-way, one-lane highway taking this giant Mack truck that is Jesus Christ straight to us. And I hope that you brought your appetites tonight because this promise takes this little meal and turns it into the most gut-busting one on the entire Las Vegas Strip. So forget the Bellagio buffet. Because in this buffet, here is forgiveness for your sins. Here is new life that can't be taken away. Here is a connection to those who are no longer here, but share this bread and wine in the full glory of the kingdom. Here is salvation. Here is a God whose love for us is the only thing we can truly count on. Rooted in cross and sacrifice and poured out on us in the bottomless divine insanity that we call grace. So while you're looking for things that are permanent, the only thing that ever is permanent comes to you. The love of God in Christ Jesus. And whenever you taste of it, you can rest assured, you will be permanent too. Amen.